Well, good morning. It is uh, great to see you guys. It's really such a, man, such a pleasure to be with you guys singing about, I mean, I think often what we do is we take for granted the, just the, the beautiful nature of what we get to do when we gather on Sunday mornings. You know, it's kind of like, oh, it's the American thing. We have these freedoms. We have these privileges to be able to gather together in a place like this. Uh, but it's such a beautiful thing to be able to like sing together about the one who set us free, about the one who makes our lives brand new, about the one who is victorious over sin and death. And uh, man, I hope that as we gather more and more, the truth of that will invade your hearts. And where it becomes, you know, sometimes we, we get here on Sundays and we're kind of like, eh, you know, I don't know, whatever, we'll see if this benefits me. Um, but hopefully, you know, as we gather together more, the transition from like, how can this benefit me to, man, I can't wait to, to get together with people who love Jesus and celebrate what God's done through me and in us through the week. And what we're doing is we're just going to respond and I can't wait to, to listen to Kelly talk for 30 minutes. I can't wait for all this, you know, right? Okay, yeah, some of us, okay. But uh, man, it is such a privilege to be here. So we are, we're continuing in our Matthew uh, uh, um, sermon series called Cross and Crown. And uh, we're going to jump right into it this morning. And for time's sake, um, I don't have time to read everything. So I'm kind of going to give us a, a little bit of a narrative uh, of what's happened before we read. So Jesus is traveling with his disciples. Jesus is doing his thing. He's seeing the kingdom of God break into what is not yet the kingdom of God. Uh, Mike did that so well last week, giving us uh, an understanding of the kingdom of God coming and breaking into our world. And this idea of the already and the yet the already being the kingdom of God coming where Jesus is when he heals someone, when he sets someone free from sin, that's the kingdom of God breaking into that situation. But yet there's this not yet, there's not the fullness of the kingdom of God. We, we don't see every time people getting healed. We don't see every time people um, saying yes to Jesus. But when the fullness of the kingdom of God is there, we will see those things. And so Jesus in his ministry right now, what he's doing is he's bringing the kingdom of God. And in the midst of his mission of bringing the kingdom of God to a place where there is not the kingdom of God, this story happens. And uh, if you remember uh, when we read, probably during, you hear it during Christmas time or in the beginning of the gospel of Matthew uh, and some of the other gospels, there's this character named John the Baptist, and he's the cousin of Jesus. And John gets himself into prison because he just can't help but preach the truth. He can't, he just can't help but, but call out sin. And so what he does is he confronts Herod and he tells him, man, this what you've done with your, your brother's uh, wife. He takes his brother's wife to be his own wife. Uh, John the Baptist confronts Herod and says, man, that is a bad thing. So Herod being the really nice guy that he is, doesn't like it. He doesn't like being confronted. He puts John in jail. And he wants to kill him, but he's scared to kill him because everybody likes John so much that he doesn't want to look like a bad guy. Only so much of a bad guy, right? And so he doesn't kill him. But then what happens is Herod's having a birthday party. And during his birthday party, his now new wife, his brother's ex-wife, I mean, man, this is a dysfunctional family, right? Her daughter, which is his stepdaughter, comes and dances for him. And this wasn't like, you know, you ask your kids to 
like we ask our daughter, well, Savannah's kind of outgrown that, but she used to get with her friends and do these little routines for us, and the parents would be like, do a dance and do a song, and then we'd sit there and go, oh, you know. It wasn't one of those kind of a things. It was a seductive dance. It was, she was dancing in a very, I don't know, like a belly dancer or something, you know, very seductive. And so Herod likes this, and he tells his stepdaughter, hey, anything you want, I'll give it to you. Just ask for it. And you just see more dysfunction, more evil, more sin take place in this situation. And the wife, or the mother of the daughter, the now wife of Herod, tells the daughter, hey, ask for John the Baptist's head and put it on a platter. And now Herod's in, in a, you know, what you call a rock in a hard place. Now he's, he doesn't want to kill him, but now he's already told this girl, I'll do anything you want have anything in your kingdom, and she asks for the head of John the Baptist, so now he can't renege on his, his, uh, his, his plea deal, I guess, so to speak, and he offers up and he kills John the Baptist. And the disciples of John come back and they tell Jesus what had happened, and this is where we're going to pick up in our story. So if you have your Bibles, turn to Matthew chapter 14, starting in verse 13, it says this, now when Jesus heard this, the, the the death of his cousin, he withdrew from there in a boat to a desolate place by himself. But when the crowds heard it, they followed him on foot uh, from the towns. And when he went ashore, he saw a great crowd and he had compassion on them. I just want to stop right there for a moment. This to me is one of the greatest doctrinal, one of the greatest examples, if you ever want to know who Jesus is when we're reading through the Gospels, is such a picture of love, such a picture of who Jesus is, to see in the midst of Jesus grieving the death of his cousin, trying to get away from the crowds, getting in a boat, doing whatever he can, the crowds looking at him, seeing, oh, where's he going, where's he going, anticipating, uh, they all arriving, and Jesus arrives, and the Bible says, and when he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them. That is, believe it or not, deep theology about who Jesus is, and we're gonna see why that's true later, but often what we think of Jesus is, if I come to him in the right way, then he'll then bestow on me compassion, which I'm seeking. And that is not true of Jesus. It's quite the opposite. Let's continue reading. Verse 14, when he went ashore, he saw a great crowd and he had compassion on them and healed their sick. Now, when it was evening, the disciples came to him and said, this is a desolate place and the day is now over. Send the crowds away to go into the villages and buy food for themselves. But Jesus said, they need not go away. You give them something to eat. They said to him, we have only five loaves here and two fish. And he said, bring them here to me. Then he ordered the crowds to sit down on the grass. And taking the five loaves and the two fish, he looked up to heaven and said a blessing. Then he broke the loaves and gave them to the disciples. And the disciples gave them to the crowds. And they all ate and were satisfied. And they took up 12 baskets full of the broken pieces left over. And those who ate were about 5,000 men besides women and children. That's a lot of people. Some, some commentators would say, you know, 
often when scripture would record people, it often uh, would record just the men among them as far as the, the actual numbers. Um, but we know that with them, there were, there were women and children, and some of them would have families. And, and in a uh, Hebrew culture, there was usually more than one kid. Uh, and so some commentators say there were maybe about 15,000 to 20,000 people gathered here. That's a daunting thing for Jesus to be going through at the moment. 15 to 20,000 people um, and performs this miracle. And what I want us to understand this morning, I want us to look at the compassion of Jesus. You know, his first response to these people who would probably annoy any of us, who would exhaust us to our limit who, if, if it was us, we probably would not have reacted the way Jesus did. And so we're going to unpackage the compassion of Christ. I'm going to give us just three points this morning, like any good preacher would, right? Three points. And if you're taking notes, here is my, here's, here's my goal and what I want us to, to see this morning through Scripture. I want us to see Jesus as compassionate, and I, and I want us to look to Jesus for compassion, to receive compassion. I want us, you know, often what we do when we sit in a room like this on a Sunday morning or if a preacher's preaching something, is what we do is we take a truth about God and we rightly say, okay, how does that, uh, how do I assimilate that into my life? And then um, give it to others, right? And that's becoming a disciple of Jesus. And I think that's part of our story this morning. But what I really want us to do is for those of us who call ourselves disciples of Jesus is to ask ourselves, where does our, our need and uh, our, our, our well, so to speak, where do we draw from when we need compassion in our lives? And I want us to see how Jesus is that well. How Jesus is the only one who truly gives the, the compassion that we need in our lives. So, you guys on board with that this morning? Yeah. All right. All right. Melissa's on board. That's all right. Um, so, I'm going to give us three points. And the first one is this about the compassion of Christ. Jesus' compassion is not like our compassion. Uh, look at verse 15, right? This, this is usually our kind of mode of compassion. It says this, Now when it was evening, the disciples came to him and said, This is a desolate place. Like, obvious statement. And the day is now over. It's like, we're getting tired, Jesus. Like, okay. Send the crowds away to go to the villages and what? Buy food for themselves. This is such a... Uh, practical, um, this is such a level-headed kind of decision that the disciples are saying here, right? Now, take this truth, so to speak, that the disciples are saying, and then marry it to the, uh, the truth that Jesus is trying to get away from crowds. He's trying to find some solace. He's trying to say, man, I, I'm, here, here's the truth that we know about Jesus. Jesus was fully God, right? 
fully God. That's the reason why you and I are able to worship here this morning. That's the reason why you and I are able to say, I've been set free. We can sing the Phil Wickham song, There's a Living Hope, because Jesus was fully God, because he fully satisfied the wrath of God against my sin. He soaked up every part of that, and he satisfied that. And I can stand here free this morning and sing this with audacious boldness in my heart, saying, I am free. But there's another side of who Jesus was, is that he was fully man. Uh, Theologians would call this the hypostatic union of Christ, right? Big word, just meaning that he was both man and he was both God. And if we take the man nature of who Jesus is, the reality is that he is tired, but he's also pretty upset probably about hearing the news of his cousin being beheaded. Brutal death. So Jesus tries to get away, right? And the disciples, maybe being empathetic for Christ, I don't know, but probably being more like, let's think logically here, Jesus. You're trying to get away. You're you're tired. We're all tired. These crowds, they just, they saw us and they anticipated. They run on the other side. We just can't get away from these guys. There's nothing here. There's just twigs. There's grass. There's rocks. And this one little kid has just given us five loaves and two fishes. What do you want us to do? Send everybody away. Everybody's hungry. We're tired. What do you want us to do? And Jesus says, nope, you feed them. See, Jesus' compassion is not based on the circumstances of the moment. That's such good news for you and me. His compassion is different than you and me. I find it's easy to be compassionate. You know when it's most easy for me to be compassionate? when it's most easy for me to be compassionate. Hmm. I mean, like, oh, I have extra change in my pocket. You know, who carries cash anymore? Nobody carries cash. Walking down the street, you see somebody who's less fortunate than me and who's, who's, who needs, and man, that's okay. That's easy. I can reach into my pocket and give five bucks. Here you go. Be blessed, you know. That's easy. But when I'm tired... When I've heard something devastating, when I'm overwhelmed with grief and I just need to get alone, that's hard to be compassionate to somebody. But Jesus isn't like that. Um, Marianne and I, I asked my wife this permission, so don't think I'm, um, no, not because she's the boss. That's not what I meant, like, babe, but I just want to honor her. Um, we recently got into a little argument. Um, well, it turned into kind of a big argument, right? And uh, yes, we, if you ever need marriage counseling, you can come to us too, by the way. Um, but uh, we, we got in this dis, uh, disagreement about, uh, you know, she, she's going to go to this meeting and she wanted me to go to this meeting. And in my mind, I'm thinking of all the logical reasons why I should not go with her to this meeting. And object, I'm saying like, babe, you need to be objective in this situation, right? You need to think of objective truths because if I go, this will happen, this will happen, this will happen. And Marianne just says, babe, I just want you to be there. <laughs> and me being such a good, proud, smart leader, saying you're just making an emotional response. Now, that's not a good thing to tell your wife, all right? Just <laughs> don't do that. And my compassion for my wife was not there because it just didn't suit me. It didn't 
fit into my plan. It wasn't easy for me to be compassionate to my wife because I could think of all these reasons why her plea for me to do what she wanted me to do made no sense. There's no, this is a desolate place, Marianne. There's no food here for this. And she's just saying, I'm just, I just need you to be there with me. And see, Jesus in his love for us doesn't allow circumstances. He doesn't allow the, the, the sometimes what seems objectively true to overcome his compassionate for you and me. And that's why you and I are here this morning responding to the love of Jesus because when it wasn't objectively right, when we didn't deserve the compassion of Jesus, he still had compassion on us. Isn't that good news? What else? What else? Uh, Jesus, about the compassion of Jesus. So one is Jesus' compassion is different than ours, but number two, Jesus' compassion goes beyond emotions. Now, I don't know if you remember uh, this commercial, and I think it was the ASPCA uh, or PETA or some, one of these like animal rights kind of commercials, but there was this commercial for dogs, and um, they, what they would do is they tried to make this commercial as sappy as, as possible. And they, what they did is they asked, this, they asked Sarah McLaughlin to get her song and sing, I think it was in the arms of the angels. While that they, they show these little puppies in these cages shivering, right? <laughs> and, and looking up at the camera as if like, will somebody please help me, right? And then with, with that look, and then with, with the song, In the Arms of the Angels, you, even if you're not an animal person, if, if you have any ounce of flesh in your heart, you see those commercials and you instantly begin to feel guilty, right? And you start thinking, oh my gosh, that poor little puppy. What will, how will he ever survive if I don't give to the ASPCA? And they play on your emotions. And, you know, whether, if you believe dogs are people, all that kind of stuff, whatever, wherever you are on that spectrum, <laughs> go for it, you know? But it's this emotional response that they're trying to do. And to be honest, for me, if the next commercial comes on, it's like pizza, I'm like, oh, pizza, right? <laughs> now, that commercial did what it was supposed to do in the sense of it made me feel emotional about the animals that are suffering. And we should take care of animals. I'm not, okay. But if that's all that compassion is, then we're missing the truth of what compassion does. And the beauty of what Jesus does here is that he's not just stirred by emotion. He doesn't just get off the boat and see crowds and go, oh, and hear Sarah McLaughlin or the angels singing about these poor people. And he's like, oh, these poor people. Oh, five loaves and two fish. I'm hungry. I'm going to go eat and goodbye. No, his compassion actually moves to action. And you see these very real things of what Jesus did. He, he feeds the people. Look at verse 19. Then he ordered the crowds to sit down on the grass, and taking five loaves and two fish, he looked up to heaven and said a blessing. Then he broke the loaves and he gave them to the disciples and the disciples gave them to the crowds. So the, the compassion of Christ, the, the love for, for the people didn't just, just go like, oh, you poor person. 
okay, I hope everything works out for you. I want you to know that I really feel for you. I hope that makes you feel better. No, Jesus' compassion moved him to action where he fed people who were hungry. Not only did he feed people, but he heals people. It says this in verse 14. When he went ashore, he saw a great crowd, and he had compassion on them, and he healed their sick. Now, let's not forget that this is out of the manness of Jesus feeling the grief, the loss of his cousin, and being exhausted. Uh, If you have your Bible, turn to Mark chapter 5. Turn back there. And I want us to look at this beautiful example of the compassion of Jesus in healing. This is uh, Mark's gospel, and it says this in verse 25. And there was a woman who had a discharge of blood for 12 years, and who had suffered much under many physicians, and had spent all that she had, and was no better, but rather she grew worse. She had heard the reports about Jesus and came up behind him in the crowd and touched his garment. For she said, if I touch even his garment, I will be made well. And immediately the flow of blood dried up and she felt in her body that she was healed of her disease. Now look at this in verse 30. And Jesus perceiving in himself that power had gone out from him, immediately turned around in the crowd. Such, a, such another beautiful theological statement about who Jesus is. He turns around. First, he, he has compassion on these crowds. And then in the midst of this crowd, Jesus turns around. Uh, where am I? And he fell in the, immediately he turned around in the crowd and said, who touched my garments? Now, she's probably like, <gasps> what do you mean? Like, am I in trouble? And his disciples said to him, you see the crowds pressing around you? It's kind of a sarcastic statement. Uh, And yet you say, who touched me? It's like, Jesus, there's like a billion people pushing on you. What a dumb statement. And And he looked around to see who had done it. But the woman, knowing what had happened to her, came in fear and trembling, fell down before him and told him the whole truth. And he said to her, daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace and be healed of your disease. Here's a woman who should not, by by, uh, Levitic law, by the Hebrew law, if, if, if 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 there was bleeding happening for a woman, she was to exclude herself from a community. She was not to be near people. She was considered to be unclean. She was breaking the law of Moses. And in her desperation, she presses into Jesus. And Jesus, if he was a good law abiding citizen, should have turned around and said, what are you doing here, you evil woman? You, should, you know that you are unclean. How dare you try to press into this crowd and spread your uncleanliness around all these clean people? Jesus doesn't have that reaction to her. He has compassion on her, and he heals her. And when she's fear and she's trembling, and she's like, oh my gosh, he's going to find out. He's going to find out. He's this holy man. He says, no, no, no. It's okay. I love you. He uses the word daughter. Isn't that beautiful? Sometimes you and I are sheepish to approach Jesus because we think we haven't kept the law perfectly. 
We think often, you know, I, I haven't had a great week. I, I've done all these bad things. And who am I to approach Jesus? Who am I to receive or be worthy to receive the compassion of Christ? And so what we do is we kind of distance ourselves from Jesus until we kind of feel morally okay to approach him. And you friends, that is religion. That is not the way of the gospel. That is not the compassion of the Savior that you and I serve. We serve a Savior that no matter how good or bad we've done, that when we need healing, when we need feeding, when we need to be healed of our sickness, spiritually, emotionally, whatever it is, we can come directly to Jesus, press in through the crowds, and touch him. And he is faithful to respond. Not only does the compassion of Jesus go beyond emotion in feeding and healing, but it satisfies. It says this in verse 20, back in Matthew, says this, and they all ate and were satisfied, and they took up 12 basketful of broken pieces left over. Now, it's quite a feat to break bread and fish and multiply it. That's a miracle in itself. But it's even more, I think, of a miracle to feed maybe 15 to 20, even five thousand people with five loaves and two fishes and surely in our humanity sometimes we think God will you perform this miracle but maybe you're not going to fully perform this miracle maybe you're not going to fully satisfy what I need maybe I'm going to like go to you first and then if that doesn't work, I'll go to the aspirin or the Tylenol. Or the, and I'm not saying those things are bad. Thank you, God, for the common grace of medicine and doctor, all those kind of things. But somehow it's crept into our thinking and into our hearts that God is not big enough or strong enough or compassionate enough to fully satisfy our longing. And so we go to him kind of like, yeah, maybe God will break in, but maybe the, what he's going to offer isn't enough. And that's not true. The compassion of Jesus fully satisfies. You know when it doesn't fully satisfy? Is when we've allowed the weeds, remember we talked about the weeds in the soil of our heart, when we've allowed weeds to grow in there, aka idols. When we've said, oh, this idol is immediately giving me pleasure. And I'm afraid that the compassion of Jesus might take a while to grow. And so I'm going to reach out to this. But the compassion of Jesus fully satisfies, and it's complete. I mean, so much to, to the point is that there were 12 baskets full left over. Friends, that is the compassion of Jesus. That is the compassion of our Savior. We need not look anywhere else. If you are feeling you need compassion in your life, if you are feeling maybe the, like when Marianne shared about the terror, the dread that's coming, and you're saying, if I can only get this thing or this relationship or this amount of money or this, sat this will satisfy me, you are look you're barking up the wrong tree. Because only Jesus fully satisfies and complete. Now, let me, let me, a little caveat here from this. 
And I said in the beginning, hey, I want the emphasis of what we're doing this morning to focus on the fact that we need compassion from Jesus directly. But there is a truth that if we receive compassion, we're therefore supposed to give compassion, right? I mean, I love that Jesus says, they don't need to go away. You feed them. You feed them. And then they're like, what? We got nothing, you know? And Jesus says, no, I'm going to provide a way for you to feed these people. And guys, we've been provided a way to give compassion to others. So much to the fact that sometimes we fear if I give away, I'm not going to get anything in return. But I love that there's 12 baskets full left over. And if when we receive compassion, we should give compassion freely without a fear of, Lord, if I do this, if I'm obedient, what will happen? I don't know. No, I trust in the fact that you fully satisfy and your compassion is complete. Amen? Oh, boy. Okay, let's move on. Last one here. You guys doing okay? Last one. We're, look at that. It was not too painful. We're almost done. Number three. Not only is Jesus' compassion different, not only does Jesus' compassion go beyond the Sarah McLaughlin experience, but Jesus' compassion suffers to salvation. Now, what do I mean by that? Now, we've already said that I, I think Jesus was mourning the fact of the death of his, his cousin, I mean, we see Jesus was fully man. He has emotions, right? Now, yes, he's fully God. He knows that John the Baptist is, is, is rejoicing uh, with the Father, and, and he knows that he's in heaven and, and because he's God, and he knows the final outcome, but he's fully man. He feels the pain of it. But I think there's something else to be understood about what Jesus was doing here. A lot of commentators would say in Matthew chapter 14, those first verses about John being beheaded at the hands of Herod is a, is a mirror, is a similar story, is a, is, a, is a prequel of what's to come for Christ. And I think that Jesus in his humanity is contemplating the fact that he is going to be going to the cross. He's tired, he's hungry, he's mourning, and in the midst of that, he hears of his cousin, and he must be thinking to himself how similar this is going to play out for me. Now, the beauty of compassion, you know this word compassion actually means to suffer with. When I'm compassionate for my wife, it's not just me going, oh, sorry, babe, that sucks. It's for me to suffer alongside my wife. If she's feeling pain, if I'm compassionate, I suffer with her. Yeah, you ever hear of a, a husband going through sympathy pains in pregnancy, right? It's usually revealed in weight gain. You know, that's usually how the guys show that. Um, but, you know, you, you see maybe your pregnant wife giving labor, and they, they've, they've documented men going, oh, I feel this. And I, I don't believe it for one second, right? Guys aren't going through the same pain. But there's something about this, because we've been tied to our spouse or a loved one so close, that our heart breaks too. 
And we suffer alongside the one that we're having compassion with. And this, friends, is what, what Jesus did for us. You ever hear the, the Passion of the Christ? Remember, uh, Mel Gibson made his movie, The Passion of the Christ. And this is something that's been remembered and memorialized thousands of years over. And we remember the Passion of the Christ. And uh, on Good Friday this year, we're going to remember the Passion of the Christ. And it's like, why do you call it the Passion of the Christ? Jesus was really passionate about going to the cross. Well, he was, but that's not what that word means. It means the suffering of Jesus. And the suffering of Jesus was not because he just wanted to suffer. It's because he was suffering alongside you and I so that we could be free from our sin and our slavery from sin and death. And Jesus, in this moment, the, the compassion of Christ did exactly what that word means. He suffered alongside. That's the gospel. That's the beauty of our gospel. That's the good news that you and I are sitting here this morning reveling in. That's the good news that when we leave these doors today and go through our, our, our day in lives through the rest of the week, when Kelly says, man, the compassion of Christ is there for us, but it should also propel us to give compassion to others. That is the fuel that gives us compassion for others. The fact that Jesus, when I was undeserving, the fact that Jesus, when I, when I didn't do everything right, when I was like that lady who pressed into the crowds and I shouldn't have been there, and all I wanted to do is touch onto the hem of the garment because I needed something from Christ, he was freely and fully and completely gave it to me when I needed it, and so therefore it fuels me because Jesus suffered on my behalf. He didn't just suffer aloofly. He didn't just come as this high and mighty savior. As, as Mike said, you know, he came on a donkey, right? He didn't come on this huge, uh, what are those big Budweiser horses? Clydesdale, and it's like feel the ground shake when he came into Jerusalem and he was wearing a sword and he just kicked butt and everything. He came lowly and meekly. Came as a baby. He suffered all the same things that you and I suffered. Hebrews says that we don't serve a high priest who is unable to sympathize with us, but we, we serve a priest who in every way has been tempted just like you and me, but yet overcame it. And Jesus in his compassion suffered for us. What good news. What a glorious gospel. What a beautiful thing that we get to partake in as people who call themselves disciples of Jesus. If that's been lost on you, man, Holy Spirit, will you remind me of the passion of Christ? Will you remind me of the freedom I have in Jesus? Will you remind me, Holy Spirit, that once I was far from God, but I've been brought near because of the passion of Jesus? Amen? Will you stand with me this morning? What, what, a, what a beautiful thing we get to do now. We get to respond in communion. And, and this is something we do every Sunday. But what a beautiful right that we have to be able to thank Jesus for his compassion. To be able to say, Jesus, because of your suffering, your body, 
was bruised, it was beaten for me and took upon my sins. And Jesus, because of your suffering, because of your passion, your compassion for me, your blood was spilt on my behalf, washing me clean of my sin. And what an appropriate way to respond to the compassion of Jesus this morning. Let's, let's pray. And then what I want us to do is as we take communion, thank Jesus for his compassion on us. Let's thank him specifically that we were really like that crowd, right? We were really the ones who were like just maybe felt a little annoying at the time. We didn't deserve the compassion of Jesus. Let's thank him for his broken body and his spilt blood. Jesus, we, we just look to you this morning the one who made a way, the, the one whose compassion is so different than ours. We're so thankful for that. Jesus, we're, we're so thankful this morning that your compassion isn't just emotions and um, doesn't just stay there, but it, it feeds, it heals, it's complete, it satisfies us. And Jesus, we, we thank you that your compassion suffers with us. You became a man, died a death that only we deserved, took on our pain, took upon yourself our suffering, took upon the judgment of a holy God and satisfied the wrath of sin. Jesus, where we have let this truth kind of just taken it for granted where we, we haven't let it grow in our hearts. We ask Holy Spirit, come and fill us again with a, a newfound beauty and thankfulness for what you did for us, that you showed your compassion to us. So now, Jesus, we go to these tables in remembrance of what you did for us. In Jesus' name. Amen. Let's go to the tables now, friends. Break bread with a, a family member, a friend, by yourself.